Episode 18, Audie Penn, Audie Penn Consulting. Uh, my favorite mistake is probably when I ended up being fired from that position. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And now on with the show. We're joined today by Audie Penn. He is an operational performance consultant at his firm, Audie Penn Consulting. Audie, how are you? I'm well today. Thank you. How are you? Doing all right. Thanks for joining us. Where are you joining us from? I'm about an hour west of downtown Chicago, so in the wonderful state of Illinois. So um, you know, we're going to have a chance to talk about some of the work that you do, and you know, I think your story will uh, maybe provide a, a bit of a transition into that. But Audie, what would you say is your favorite mistake? Uh, my favorite mistake is probably I was at a one of my first organizations where I learned about the whole lean and operational excellence uh, scope of, of, of information mm -hmm. and uh, actually came along at, at a good time, uh, applied some of what I had learned and made some pretty significant changes rather quickly. And I, and I think the mistake that I would say I made in that process was just moving too aggressively, probably even as an individual rather than being connected to the broader organization. And, and I upset a few of the leaders by solving a problem that quite frankly had seemed unsolvable up to that point. But I mean, they taught me the tools and I had simply applied them and discovered some problems in the way that the Kanban system was set up, made the problem go away. And that actually upset a couple of the leaders and I ended up being fired from that position. So, so, yeah, wow. So that's kind of hard to understand. Why would an organization turn on one of their own, um, if you will? Um, maybe for context, because I, I think not everyone in the audience knows, um, in, in a nutshell, what's your elevator speech about lean as a methodology? And, and can you then also, second elevator ride maybe, what is Kanban before we kind of dig into the details? Sure. Um, I think my elevator pitch is uh, connecting both the gaps in leadership presence and operational purpose is required to achieve the promises of operational excellence and lean. And often when I share that with people, there's, there's enough there to sp spark some interest and continue the conversation. Um, Kanban in itself is simply uh, um, an alternative method, I would say, to scheduling an operation where uh, the demand from the customer actually triggers the movement of inventory and material through the system. And so it's much more responsive to what's actually being consumed in a process or an organization than, uh, say, an MRP with a push uh, signal. And so you were kind of, uh, you know, digging into the operations, you know, um, so, some of our audience um, knows, but, you know, uh, this, this quote unquote lean approach has origins in a phrase lean manufacturing or lean yes. production. Um, I do work with this methodology in healthcare. So we might often refer 
to lean healthcare. But you know, getting a little bit more into the nuts and bolts of the story. So you you were working for an organization to help improve operations, to improve material flow. Why why did the organization respond in a way, or maybe it was just one person? who had the authority to do, do this, why, why did it lead to you being fired? Um, well, mm-hmm. I, I, I think you've nailed it um, in terms of identifying the root cause of this. Um, there was an individual um, in that organization in, in the chain of command under which I uh, was reporting that I think felt a bit intimidated by my ability to solve this problem. Uh, If I gave a little bit more context here, the organization had just opened this factory um, less than two years prior, brand new equipment, actually only one of three pieces of equipment in the world um, with this capability in this, this configuration. And it had never been on schedule in the time that it had been uh, in operation. I didn't know that at the time. So the manager that hired me came in and said, get it on schedule and I'll be back in two weeks. He, he was off on vacation and that's exactly what I did. It took me about four weeks to do it. But what I had discovered was a gap in their uh, replenishment calculations and what showed up on the Kanban um, signals, mm-hmm. made the adjustment. And lo and behold, not only did we Uh, achieve schedule position, but we sustained schedule position. And I think it was an embarrassment for Mm. um, this, this expert in operational excellence. And well, I was removed. So I had jotted down the word embarrassed before you said it, I was kind of guessing or wondering Uh, a lot of times, you know, I mean, I've seen in organizations where people will hang their hat on a level of performance being just the way not only the way it's always been, but somehow the way it has to be uh, in healthcare. Um, the discussion might be around infection rates, hospital-acquired infections, or employee harm. Or, you know, employee injuries maybe translates to other settings. I think it might help people sleep at night if they convince themselves this is an unsolvable problem, and then, oops, lo and behold, um, Audi or somebody like you in an organization shows. It was solvable. This this changes from being a technical issue to a, a social political issue within an organization, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think that's where my naivete really showed up. I mean, again, I was very young and wasn't really paying attention to politics. Mm. Um, I, I, I The funniest part about this story is the following week after I was terminated, the director of HR called and actually offered me the job back. Um, but I had such a sour taste in my mouth that I just really didn't want to go back into that environment. Um, she also shared with me that the individual that terminated me was terminated himself. And oh. there was a lot of uh, dominoes that seemed to have fallen at that point. But uh, just, you know, when you when you experience a culture like that, it's hard to, mm-hmm. to just find find the desire to get back into it. Yeah. So they probably couldn't tell you reasons why he was fired. Was was there what reason was given for for you being fired? Were you somehow called insubordinate, or or was was it where they just uh, didn't have to give a reason? Well, they had given me a reason, um, something about uh, inefficient leadership skills, or 
it quite frankly didn't make any sense to me when they gave it to me. Um, it right. was the individual who was terminated and a, a lower level HR manager, but mm -hmm. at that point it didn't matter. Um, the relationship was over. Sure. That's understandable. Um, so as you moved on from there, I mean, what, you know, we, we, you know, in this, in the podcast here, we always talk about the lessons learned. Mm -hmm. Um, did you end up in similar operational improvement roles and, and what was there a need to get a takeaway? Cause I mean, I mean, a part of me hearing your story says, well, this, this, this person who fired you, you know, that was a unique one-off situation, but were, were there lessons learned about kind of paying attention to some of the interpersonal or, you know, if not organization, organizational politics, paying attention to those dynamics? Absolutely. And, and that kind of goes back to my elevator speech earlier about the intersection of of leadership uh, processes, relational processes and operational processes is really what's required to achieve those promises of operational excellence. And so what I learned from that was really understanding the relationships and influence at play, um, spending more time building those relationships and connecting across functions to be sure that there is an alliance in place and that uh, something like this isn't going to happen again or someone's not going to be surprised. It, it it takes a little effort, but it's really not difficult to do if, if you're reaching out and you're concerned about the people that are around you and how the decisions you're making are going to impact their functions as well. Yeah. Because I, I, you know, I wonder going back to the story that you told in that organization, and again, it could be you were just working for uh, a bad manager, so I'm not I'm not trying to pin this all on you, but I'm just kind of curious, thinking through scenarios because I, I, I when I was especially a younger engineer, as guilty as anybody of um, having the answer and thinking that that was enough. You're like, well, I've got the right answer. The right answer is going to somehow magically win in the internal marketplace of ideas, or however you want to. Um, uh, frame it. Um, so you know, I'm just kind of wondering your thoughts, you know, kind of reflecting back or as, if, as, you, as you coach others, how can we sort of help bring somebody along with us or like uh, struggling with how to articulate this? Like I wouldn't want to manipulate my boss to make he, him or her think, well, it was their idea, but like how, how can we bring someone along with us? That's something I've tried figuring out. I don't have all the answers to that. Yeah, I, th I think it's a great question, and and I do spend, I probably spend as much time in the leadership space with my clients as I do in the operational space, and I appreciate the question because it, it really helps me to articulate what it is I think I do different than others, and, and the language that I've land, landed upon is, I don't think what others is doing is incorrect. I think what others is doing is incomplete, and and let me expound on that. I think there are four elements that are required for success in any deployment, operational excellence, lean, call it what you want. The first is the strategy piece, which creates uh, clarity around what's important. Mm -hmm. right. The second is the management systems, which in my language is about accountability and about development of, of people and processes. Uh, the third, um, I've often heard it referred to as the operating system or the performance system or the learning system, but that for me is where most of the consultants that I've experienced in my own past spent their focus time, and that is process improvement, eliminating waste, 
Um, Six Sigma comes to mind where you're improving processes through statistical analysis. That's three of the four. The fourth is the leadership space, which is about relationship. It's about conversation. It's about both individual performance and team performance. And I've said for many years, without that culture, the best operational excellence or lean deployment, you have all the operational tools, but you don't have the right culture, you will still fail. Mm -hmm. And some consultants focus on the leadership space and they don't understand the operational space. And again, it's wonderful to put it in place, but it's incomplete still. And so what I try to emphasize is we have to have the complete uh, componentry in place if we actually want to achieve those significant promises of operational excellence. Yeah. And again, our guest today is Audie Penn from uh, his firm, Audie Penn um, Consulting. Um, and what, what is the website for your firm, Audie? It's actually audiepen.com. Yeah. So, uh, and we'll link to that in the show notes. Um, but, you know, continuing the conversation a little bit, you know, Audie, I know from, some of the work you do and, and, and the approach that you share, there, there's a phrase you use that, that stands out to me because it seems really important. When you talk about the dignity of work. Yes. Tell us I, about that. I, I think that's really the connection to that culture that I'm referring to. So I, I think a lot, uh, the, the nomenclature that we hear in, in the recent past is that high performance culture, but I think that can be confusing sometimes because it doesn't really help us understand what it takes to achieve it. And, and for me to truly understand and achieve that high performance culture requires respecting every individual. Now that's one of the tenets of the Toyota production system, one of the first foundational pieces. But I think as we build upon that respect for every individual, it means we are open to their to their ideas. We're inviting them into solving problems. We respect them no matter what culture they're from, no matter what they look like, everyone has value. And if we look at the dictionary uh, definition of dignity, I think we're getting much closer to it now. There's a certain level of respect that every individual deserves. And I think that's truly connected to this idea of dignity. So as leaders, if we're not respecting people, if we're not providing that opportunity to participate and be part of the community, we are the problem. And that's what I try to teach leaders. If you truly want to achieve that culture, then you have to see the people in your organization. You have to seek them out and, and encourage them to participate. And you have to learn to listen to them. And so what you've shared there are some fairly specific manifestations of respect of not just saying we respect people, but that, that translates into actions. And maybe you can elaborate on this. I've heard you touch on listening and in, in no particular order, um, listening, engaging people, involving them. And uh, t tell us more about um, that, what, what this respect means and how do you coach leaders to either, um, you know, can, can they increase the level of respect they have, or is it more a matter of expressing that respect in different ways? I think part of it is um, uh, showing that respect in different ways. Mm -hmm. There's also a piece there that I'm always looking for the motivation that uh, a leader shows up with. 
this. And it's, it's, there are some subtle signals that tell me, are you, are you motivated by serving yourself first or are you motivated by serving the organization and its mission? So that's one level of assessment that's going on for me all the time. Is somebody a servant leader or not? Absolutely. Maybe there's a spectrum there, but yes. But what I, what I'll teach, there's a session that I do with leaders about making requests and what I try to teach them is a leader's role, and this is my opinion, and I, and I teach it, but a leader's role is actually to establish clarity about outcome. Hmm. And the simple language that I like to use is, here's what I want, here's when I want it. You can't add anything more of value as a leader. If you do, you start to d- actually dilute the value of the interaction. The next question is, how can you help me achieve that? And that's the invitation for a group of people to actually come in and, and find a method to produce that outcome. Or as I teach, tell me why that outcome isn't realistic. Tell me why that time frame isn't realistic and we'll make, a, we'll make an adjustment in it. But I have asked leaders this question. If, if you're not establishing clarity about the outcome for your scope of responsibility, then who is? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that question is, is often shocking. And, and what happens is they're very, very quiet for a few moments and they finally realize mm-hmm. if I'm not doing it, no one is. And that's leading to the hesitation and the confusion that we experience in our processes. I don't know what it is I'm supposed to be producing. I don't know how I will be evaluated as either successful or not. Without that, I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm not sure what target it is I'm pursuing. And I, what I agree with what you're saying there. I mean, as much as we try to emphasize on, you know, we, we emphasize engaging the people who do the work in improving the work. And um, it's an important role that, that people play. We can show respect by um, involving them. Um, like you said, leadership still has to help set the direction and, and that doesn't mean that leaders have all the answers then about how to execute in that direction. Um, if you may tell us more um, about, about that dynamic. Yeah, there's a couple of ideas that come to mind as I listen to you set that up. One is, I, I think in the, the Western leadership space, there's this idea that a leader is supposed to have every answer for every problem for every person at all times. Mm-hmm. And quite frankly, that's just not uh, sustainable. You You can find some success in that thinking, but it it is a recipe for overwhelm. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the other side of that equation then is when we actually establish clarity as leaders, it actually gives us back a great amount of time. Why? Because we're spending so much time telling everyone how to do their job rather than helping those that truly need it. And so when we're able to actually see the full spectrum of, of the capabilities of our teams, we can actually show up where our teams need us. Um, one of my favorite questions is, why do we think we should tell everyone how to do their work? I asked this to a group of executives at one point, and, and the one with the, the greatest voice in the group said, because we can And that's exactly right, because most of our leaders come up through the organization and they've done it. Mm -hmm. But what we have to realize is that's not our role any longer. Our role is to establish clarity about outcomes and then to evaluate the methods that our teams create to produce those outcomes. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's 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 well said. And we talk about how that role of a leader shifts. Um, I'll, I'll maybe I'll put it in the show notes. I'll, I'll send you a link to this video. Audi um, came from a hospital in Indianapolis. Um, so my co-author Joe Schwartz, co-author from my book Healthcare Kaizen. Um, it's a video of Rhonda, a pharmacy director, who talks about the culture change as they engaged everyone in the pharmacy in problem solving and continuous improvement. I'm paraphrasing her, but she says in the video something to the effect of, I would not have believed how much time this now frees up for her as a leader. She says, instead of running to her with every problem, people now keep her informed. They'll come and say, Rhonda, we had this problem earlier. Here's what we did about it. Right. So she's still involved. But then what she said reminded me of what you were saying. Um, Rhonda said that it now gave her time to be more strategic instead of just reacting to fire. She could actually think about the future of her department and of her team. And that seems like an element of what you were describing as setting those objectives. Right. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. And I think it's 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 counterintuitive to most of us. We're, we're simply not taught this different way. Um, again, language that I like to use is we don't know what we don't know Mm -hmm. and we need people like you and me to show up. I mean, I've got people like you and me in my own past that showed up, shared some new ideas with me, opened different doors and allowed me to then explore and and experience these things for myself. Yeah. And I'm going to give a a quick call back um, to episode 17 of this series. Um, Melanie Parrish, um, she's the author of a book called The Experimental Leader. So I think this would resonate um, with you, Audie, and Melanie was talking about um, the need to shift from what we know, like what we're certain about, because when we know something, we could be wrong, as opposed to going out and proving or disproving something in an experimental action. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, Audie, um, you talked earlier about how you know everybody in the workplace deserves respect, and I, I would agree with you. I think leaders need to give that respect to their employees, um, recognizing their employees want to do their best. Sometimes people will say, maybe it's different contexts. I've heard the phrase, respect is earned. And and I would think maybe that statement would be more true, pointed in in the direction of leaders need to earn the respect of their employees, maybe while giving respect freely. Maybe that's, uh, I don't know. what's, What's your thought, Audie, about, you know, kind of, respect being deserved versus being earned and how and where does that apply? Well, I think if we truly understand this idea of dignity, it it's, it's kind of a default. It's where we should start. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we are human beings suggests there's a level of dignity that should be present no matter what. Mm-hmm. And that we, through our choices, can either ruin the dignity that we deserve. Um, but I don't know that we can actually start in a, in a hole. And so I, I love your, your, your viewpoint. And that is as leaders, we should consider that and we should be out there working to show the respect and dignity to others so that we can get it back. I don't think it should start with the team members um, earning that dignity that should be automatic. Yeah. And, and sometimes leaders, um, people in leadership roles might be a better way of saying it. They will demand respect. And it comes back to maybe your point. Why would they do that? Because they can. But that doesn't mean that's really the right approach. Yeah. 
yeah, the the language that shows up for me here is, um, and I and I express this in some of the work that I do. There's a difference between coercion and influence. <laughs> when we understand those two differences, we can really start to see the difference of the leadership styles we choose, and how those leadership styles are actually impacting the culture and the people around us. Yeah. That's well said. Yeah. The uh, the leader who demands, quote unquote, respect may just get compliance or subservience, which is not a path to organizational excellence. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. guessing we would agree on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Adi, thank you so much for you know sharing your story, your reflections on that favorite mistake. I'm glad you bounced back and then some from um, that firing. And, and thanks for having a conversation on some of these other, I think, interesting um, questions of leadership and respect and, and dignity. Thank you for bringing that word uh, dignity into the conversation. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And I enjoyed the conversation very much. Well, thanks. Me too. So uh, again, our guest has been um, Audie Penn, um, Audie Penn Consulting. You can find his website at audiepen.com and that'll all be linked in the show notes. So thanks again. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. See you next time.